0: Wildfires have been in the headlines the last few weeks, so I'd like to begin with a story about a wildfire, or actually about 40 lightning-started fires that added up to a massive fire event in Yellowstone National Park. Established in 1872, Yellowstone is America's oldest national park and receives about 5 million visitors per year. In 1988, however, the park was threatened by a series of fires that grew out of control, creating a fire event that directly impacted over one-third of the park. When the first fires broke out in June, they were allowed to burn. When more fires were started by lightning, experts were pleased because they felt that Yellowstone was overdue for a large fire event to reset its ecosystem. Others question this approach, uh, the so-called let it burn approach including then President Ronald Reagan. Because of dry weather in late June and early July, the fire spread more rapidly than expected and the National Park Service began to suppress the fires starting in mid-July. By the end of August 1988 uh, there were over 10,000 firefighters trying to stop all of these fires in the park. It took until late September to suppress most of the fires. Though it's true that the fires spread more rapidly and more widely than anticipated, in the long run they were beneficial. The, fire of 19, the fires of 1988 created a landscape of burns, partial burns and unburned areas called a mosaic. A forest mosaic provides natural fire breaks, and sustains a greater variety of plant and animal species. Aspen trees began to grow in areas of the park where they had never grown, some of them up to eight miles away from their origin. Lodgepole pine, the most common tree in Yellowstone National Park, also benefited from the fires. Uh, Lodgepole pine cones are sealed with resin and only release their seeds when exposed to intense heat Animal habitats were enhanced by these fires as well. Uh, To the surprise of some, most of the species endemic to the park actually preferred the burned areas um, because there was more food. There were were exposed roots, there were more insects, and there was new plant growth. So the destructive fires of 1988 proved the theory that the Yellowstone ecosystem is adapted to large-scale, intense wildfires. Hindsight may be 2020 vision, but for many people, Anno Domini 2020 is shaping up to be one of the worst years in recent memory. Um, have you seen some of the memes that have been going around about 2020? Uh, there was one that came out around Easter, about one month into quarantine, that went something like this 2020 is a unique leap year. It has 29 days in February, 300 days in March and five years in April. <laughs> that was back in April. Another meme, if 2020 was a bag of chips, it would be orange juice and toothpaste flavored Lay's. <laughs> and then I would add just one more. 2020 is like crime in a high rise parking garage, wrong on so many levels. Along with the broader challenges of life in a pandemic, perhaps you also are experiencing personal hardship right now. It may feel like God has adopted a let it burn approach to your life. Um, Perhaps circumstances keep working against you. There There might seem to be no point to the difficulties you're facing. Our text for today is Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. And here we see that Paul, even though he was imprisoned, And was facing many limitations, he found joy in God's purposes. He says, I rejoice two times in verse 18. But what was the source of this joy? What gave him such great joy? Um, In the interest of time and hypothermia, although we're pretty warm, so I don't think we have to worry about hypothermia. Um, I want to focus my comments just on the first part of that passage, verses 12 through 14, and let me read that again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Paul's imprisonment was a serious setback. From the book of Acts and his letters, we get the distinct impression that Paul was a man of action, didn't like to sit still. We don't know the exact details of the imprisonment described here in Philippians 1. Um, If it's the same one that's described at the end of Acts, we know that Paul would be in chains for at least two years. And although he was uh, under house arrest in that case, his movement was severely restricted. Typically, a house prisoner was chained to a guard. But knowing Paul, we have to wonder who the real prisoner was. Was it Paul or was it the soldier that he was chained to? Um, If we look again at our passage, verses 12-13, we see that instead of restricting the message, Paul's imprisonment leads to an unleashing of the gospel. Somehow, God flips the script on evil. Paul's imprisonment, seemingly a limitation, has actually advanced the good news about Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, Paul mentions the imperial guard. This is most likely referring to the praetorian guard of the Roman emperor himself, his personal army. So as Paul shared the gospel story with Caesar's elite bodyguards, the gospel was able to reach the highest level of the empire. Word about Paul was spreading. He's no ordinary prisoner. And as the word about Paul spread, the word about Jesus Christ spread also. What is the source of Paul's positive posture here? Paul is not some Pollyanna whistling, don't worry, be happy. Neither is Paul advocating the power of positive thinking. Rather, the source of Paul's joy and confidence is summed up perfectly right before our passage in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul had absolute, utter confidence in God. God began the work, and he was going to finish it. How does Paul know this? Well, Paul knows God, and Paul knows his people's history. And this history included a man who, like himself, was wrongly imprisoned, Joseph. Paul would have remembered how God turned this evil against Joseph, this injustice on its head, how God used Joseph's sufferings to save many people from famine. And Paul would have remembered what Joseph said to his brothers in the end, you meant this as evil against me, but God meant it for good. In the case of Paul's imprisonment, then, the gospel was not locked up. Rather, in the heat of hardship, it was unleashed like the seeds of a lodgepole pine tree. Along with the unique opportunity to witness to the imperial guard, Paul's imprisonment does something else unexpected. It emboldens others to preach the gospel. So instead of instilling fear it leads to greater confidence. We see that in verse 14. Paul was allowed to receive visitors under house arrest. They could bring him food, uh, money, gifts, and letters as well, and he could send letters from there. That's how we have this letter, obviously. Perhaps some people visited Paul with the idea of cheering him up. Let's, Let's go see poor old Paul. He's probably down in the dumps. He needs some cheering up, right? But their visit turns out a bit differently than they expected. Instead of picking up Paul's spirits, he picks up theirs. And then these visiting brothers and sisters leave Paul encouraged and energized for God's work. Boldness replaces fear. And once again, we see God's penchant, his unique ability to turn evil on its head, to take a bad situation and transform it into something good. The ultimate example of this is, of course, the crucifixion. When evil emptied itself out on Jesus Christ, God turned the tables. The fires of hell burnt hot on Good Friday, but out of the ashes, Christ rose to bring us new life. When considering this passage in Philippians, we have to be careful not to take it for granted that Paul is joyful. That undercuts, I think, the astonishing character of his posture. Under the circumstances, it would have been quite understandable for Paul to complain to gripe a bit about his circumstances this is a human tendency of course Um, and has been so from the beginning we complain about our restrictions Adam and Eve lived in a perfect paradise filled with fruit and what do they fixate on? the one fruit they couldn't have in contrast Paul focuses on the fruit he can enjoy, the spread of the gospel this was the fruit that was within his reach even though He was imprisoned in chains. And Paul is able to enjoy this fruit because he's learned the art of seeing God's purpose working out through our problems and difficulties. So what are some practical takeaways from Philippians 1? There are two that I'd like to highlight this morning. One, When we encounter hardship, we should not focus on the limitations, on the negative. Instead, we should try to consider what God may be doing in the situation. We have an immediate opportunity to put this into practice. Um, I would invite us to carefully and prayerfully consider what God may be doing through the restrictions of COVID-19. What new opportunities are presenting themselves? Paul got to preach to the Imperial Guard. Is there a new audience for the gospel in our context because of COVID-19. Takeaway number two, when we encounter hardship, we must learn to trust God like Paul did, even and especially when no apparent good is coming out of the circumstances. But how do we do this? Well, we can begin by recounting God's blessings to us in the past. Then, based on God's faithfulness in the past, we can have faith in him for the future. We might have a national holiday called Thanksgiving, but ingratitude and discontent are national sins in our culture. Um, We must cultivate gratitude in our lives. It should become something like a spiritual discipline because it's often so lacking. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned uh, the term for a forest ecosystem that has experienced wildfire like like Yellowstone did in 1988, and that's a mosaic. This term uh, comes, of course, from the art form, which was popular in the ancient world, especially in Greco-Roman culture, and a mosaic is a picture or a pattern that is formed by the careful arrangement of small, multicolored pieces of stone, glass, or other hard materials. On their own, these materials are disparate parts, fragments merely, but together they can form works of great beauty. The most beautiful mosaic I've ever seen is in Kavala, Greece. Uh, In Roman times, the city was called Neapolis, and it was the port city where Paul landed before going inland a few miles to Philippi. Today, literally a stone's throw away from the port, there's a monument, a mosaic, depicting Paul's Macedonian vision and then his coming to Philippi. I wish I could show it to you, Um, It looks a lot like a Byzantine-style icon. It's very colorful, and it has deep blue and rich gold tones. In our passage for today, we see God as an artist who produces work of the highest quality, and he specializes in mosaics. He takes the pieces of our lives, some of them broken fragments, seemingly ugly on their own, God takes those and shapes them into something uniquely beautiful. Wonderful, surprising victories can come out of hardship. Take, for example, the story of the 2019 men's college basketball champions. Who were? University of Virginia Cavaliers. Any UVA fans here? We've got one in the back, a few. Uh, it might seem like a long time ago, but in April of last year, UVA won its first men's basketball championship in its 114-year history. It was a pretty big deal. Um, You might recall that in the championship game they defeated the Texas Tech Red Raiders in overtime 85 to 77. A key feature of that championship game was mental fortitude and a key statistic to back that up is the fact that UVA shot 12 free throws in overtime and how many do you think they made? all of them. They made all 12 free throws in overtime, which is astonishing. This mental fortitude did not come easily or cheaply though. Um, The national championship game followed several very tight games. Uh, The Elite Eight against Purdue and then a very tight Final Four game against Auburn. They won that 63 to 62. But perhaps even more formative than these close victories was an embarrassing loss the year before at the beginning of the 2018 NCAA tournament. In March 2018, UVA became the first number one seed in tournament history to fall to a number 16 seed. You guys remember this? Some of you do. They lost by 20 points to a school called Maryland Baltimore County. Any any Maryland Baltimore County fans here this morning? (laughs) Didn't think so. They lost that game And it was a shock to uh, college basketball fans and a deep embarrassment to UVA. After they won the championship, uh, Coach Tony Bennett, not the singer, commented on that terrible loss. He said about that loss, you have a scar. Does it go away completely? No. I wish it wouldn't have happened in some ways. Now I say, well, it bought us a ticket here. So be it. So to sum up, God who is all-wise and all-powerful can work in and through hardships to accomplish his purpose for us. The trick is to trust him. That's the tricky part. This is hard to do because circumstances may seem to indicate that evil is winning. It may seem like the fire is burning out of control, that God has adopted a let it burn policy. But, as Paul assures us here in Philippians, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. God is not a quitter. He wastes nothing and always finishes what he begins. Trust him and rejoice in him. Amen.